Matt Kelly is a hypocrite. That's right. The Podfather has been trapped in an inconsistency by the good people on Twitter.com. That's right. A few shows back, Sonic Truth Podcast, we had on Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. And we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. And Schatz believes flatly that Jimmy Garoppolo is overrated. I asked him to say it again, just to be clear. For the record, Jimmy Garoppolo is overrated. And yes, he is overrated based strictly on the probabilities. Because that's what analytics is. And Aaron Schatz specializes in football analytics. Laying out the probabilities that define the possibilities. That's what we do with analytics in football. And with football, it's more challenging than it is with basketball and baseball because of our small sample sizes. And I know what you're thinking. Well, of all the players in the NFL, we know with definitive certainty that Jimmy Garoppolo does not have a small sample size. And I would disagree with that sentiment. I would say, of all the players in the NFL, we know with definitive certainty that Vernon Davis does not have a small sample size, first and foremost. Then LeGarrette Blunt. Then Jimmy Garoppolo. But always, we start with Vernon Davis when measuring sample size. And I generally agree with Aaron Schatz. It's too early to label Jimmy Garoppolo as an elite quarterback. I can't believe that we're starting the Roto Underworld Radio program with, is Jimmy Garoppolo elite? Maybe. If we're going to start with quarterback talk, who better to have on as a guest than the late round quarterback? J.J. Zacharyson is joining the program today, the week before the season starts. It is a Roto Underworld Radio tradition that we bring on one J.J. Zacharyson, the closer, editor-in-chief over at FanDuel. He was just the editor-in-chief at Numberfire. He's been promoted. He is now the editor-in-chief of everything. If it's content in fantasy football, <laughs> he's in charge of it. So we'll ask, is he drafting Jimmy Garoppolo? Gonna go way out on a limb. I mean, way! I mean, I'm on the smallest little stick at the end of the limb. A little twig. I'm going way out on a twig to say Jimmy Garoppolo is 0% owned on J.J. Zacharyson fantasy teams. 0% owned on Aaron Schatz fantasy teams. 0% owned on Matt Kelly fantasy teams. Mike Clay probably owns him. No, that, that wasn't fair. That wasn't nice. But let me be clear. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is good. How do you know how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo really? Well, you go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And you look at our dynasty rankings. And there you can see Jimmy Garoppolo comfortably in the top 10. Because unlike a quarterback like Jared Goff, I do not believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is the final product of a system. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a game manager in gunslinger's clothing. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is a genuine gunslinger. I think that, yes, Kyle Shanahan will help Jimmy Garoppolo on the margins. But it's instructive to those who want to make the coach the centerpiece of their analysis to look at the San Francisco 49ers last year, pre and post Jimmy Garoppolo, because the constant was Kyle Shanahan. The variable was the quarterback. And once Jimmy Garoppolo became the quarterback, the team started winning. So Jimmy Garoppolo is the one that deserves the vast majority of the credit for the winning, not Kyle Shanahan. The players are the ones that are largely responsible for the performances on the field, not the coaches. This is what we talk about all the time. There's so much positive bending analysis swirling around Jimmy Garoppolo. And Aaron Schatz and I disagree with a lot of it. We're just not ready to anoint him until we see it for a full season. Isn't that understandable? Isn't that just the cool, clinical, rational approach 
to analyzing football players that you don't fall into a small sample size trap no matter how handsome and well-endowed that player is? I mean, isn't that commendable? Why am I being attacked as a Jimmy Garoppolo hater and accused of hypocrisy because I insist that fantasy gamers can draft Dalvin Cook with confidence while avoiding Jimmy Garoppolo? Isn't that hypocritical? Well, no. And this is why it's so fortunate that we have J.J. Zacharyson on the program today because we can ask him the same question. What's the difference between Dalvin Cook and Jimmy Garoppolo? The position that they play. That's the difference. Dalvin Cook, four games as a professional. Jimmy Garoppolo has started seven games as a professional. One in New England, six in San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo has the equivalent of a half season of production at the NFL level. Dalvin Cook has even less. So why am I more confident that Dalvin Cook will produce RB1 numbers than I am Jimmy Garoppolo producing QB1 numbers? We'll ask J.J. Zacharyson that question. I contend that the running back position is more interdependent. Running back production is much more a product of the supporting cast. When you look at Minnesota, you see Dalvin Cook at the top of the running back depth chart, running behind an improving offensive line, 56.9 run blocking efficiency last year, was top 25, and they project to move into the top 20 with investments made along the line. They've upgraded the quarterback position. It's one of those hidden value levers at running back, the quarterback upgrade. You upgrade the quarterback, plays are less predictable. The whole offense improves. And the offense visits the red zone more frequently. So the running back enjoys less aggressive linebacker play. They have more defenders on their heels and more red zone carries. That's what we want in fantasy football. We just want the Vikings visiting the red zone as much as possible. And according to Aaron Schatz, the Vikings will be one of the best teams in the NFL this year. And Dalvin Cook will be the recipient of that offensive success. He will be the one plunging into the end zone. So very few running backs are in a better situation than Dalvin Cook. And then when you continue to zoom out and you say, well, who is Dalvin Cook? Is he good at football? The answer is definitively yes, because you can go back to his time at Florida State as a true freshman, over 1,000 yards and over 20 receptions. As a sophomore, over 1,600 yards and over 20 receptions. Then as a junior, over 1,700 yards and over 30 receptions. In each of his final two seasons, he scored 20 touchdowns. So all Dalvin Cook has done throughout his career as a football player is produce at a very, very high level. And then when he, and then when he came to the NFL in a four-game sample where we were just looking for him to confirm what we already believe, that he's good at football, what did he do? He shook defenders at a 24.7% juke rate, which is well above average, on his way to 16.6 fantasy points per game. And that was actually 0.7 fantasy points below expectation. So based on the opportunities he received in the field position and game situation in which he received them, he was a 17 fantasy points per game running back last season with Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon on the roster with Case Keenum and Sam Bradford under center. We believe Dalvin Cook to be what his zoomed out profile suggests that he is. Hashtag good at football. I'm worried here that Mike Clay invented hashtag good at football. I'll have to check that. So many proprietary stats and hashtags can never be sure what's allowed to be used. Assuming he's healthy, Dalvin Cook is a safe bet in the second round of fantasy drafts. And the Vikings called over 500 run plays last year that was number two in the NFL. The Vikings are essentially the Jaguars, but good. But I don't know with definitive certainty that Dalvin Cook is good. Dalvin Cook could be a bust. It's possible. It's in his range of outcomes. He's played four games. He could have got lucky in those four games. 
And his college career could have been a mirage. That's all possible. But the analytics suggest that's a very low probability. And the analytics also suggest that the probability of Jimmy Garoppolo underperforming expectations is much higher because he plays the quarterback position. That's not an interdependent position. The other positions are dependent on the quarterback. So he needs to play at a very high level in order to finish as a QB1 in fantasy. He's capable of doing that. When you zoom out on Jimmy Garoppolo, look at his stats at Eastern Illinois. They're incredible. All he did was improve 1,600 1600 yards as a freshman, then 2,600 yards, then 3,800 yards, then 4,500 yards. He was a monster in his final season at Eastern Illinois, which is why he was drafted in the second round by the Patriots. 48 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. I don't care what the level of competition is. That's exceptional. And talent evaluators around the league knew what the Patriots had in Jimmy Garoppolo. That's why many were outraged when the Patriots dumped Jimmy Garoppolo on the 49ers for what was perceived to be 40 cents on the dollar. You only got one second rounder? You should have got two second rounders and a fourth rounder for Jimmy Garoppolo. Come on, Patriots. Wake up! And Bill Belichick's response is, oh, I'm fucking woke. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. As soon as Brady's out, I'm out. And a Brady-Belichick-less Patriots without the Jimmy Garoppolo ripcord will likely descend into mediocrity further bolstering the case that Bill Belichick is the best NFL coach of all time. It's all part of the plan. But Aaron Schott's only point was, we need to see more from a player at the NFL level before assuming he can carry a team to the playoffs, that he himself can achieve QB1 status in fantasy. That is a much higher bar than what sports fans and fantasy gamers are asking of Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. That's the point. The threshold for proof at the quarterback position is higher because it should be higher. So comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Dalvin Cook is a false equivalency. That's why all I wrote back to that question on Twitter was, that's why my only response to that question on Twitter was, I roll emoji. Because if you're accusing me of hypocrisy by comparing Dalvin Cook to Jimmy Garoppolo, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But I'll be damned if it didn't make a great opening segment to this podcast. Ha! And I'm looking at the Jimmy Garoppolo page right now on playerprofiler.com. There's a reason why he's a top 10 dynasty quarterback on the player profiler rankings and why he's a top 10 quarterback on the player profiler extreme cheat sheet, which is a key component of our, in quotes, world famous draft kit. Check it out. Fantasy-draftkit.com. When you crack open the Kenny Galladay profile in this cheat sheet, you'll read analysis from the one and only J.J. Zacharyson. Kenny Galladay's profile and 200 others also include video analysis. You're welcome. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is good, but there is a higher probability that he misses expectations than Dalvin Cook. That's the point Aaron Schatz was making, and I agree with him. But it is worth noting a handful of these advanced metrics on Jimmy Garoppolo's profile. Number one in the NFL in pressured completion percentage. Top five in adjusted yards per attempt, air yards per attempt, and total QBR. And put that in context, no Pierre Garçon last season for Jimmy Garoppolo. His top two wide receivers, a field-stretching sprinter in rookie slot receiver Trent Taylor. Oh, and don't forget rookie tight end George Kittle. An electric satellite back. Mr. Soft Hands himself, Carlos Hyde in the backfield. That's what Jimmy Garoppolo had to work with. And his advanced metrics across the board were outstanding with the exception of deep ball completion percentage. Jimmy Garoppolo's not good on the deep ball, at least not yet. 
If he does improve his deep ball accuracy, that will be the key to Jimmy Garoppolo becoming an every week starter in fantasy football and leading the 49ers to a winning record, if not a playoff berth. It's all in his range of outcomes. But in fantasy football, I'm not drafting Jimmy Garoppolo because there are more proven quarterbacks in better situations available later in the draft. On the cheat sheet, we're higher on Marcus Mariota, we're higher on Patrick Mahomes, we're higher on Matthew Stafford, and we're higher on Matt Ryan than other fantasy sites. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be prolific. I think Marcus Mariota is one of the best all-around quarterbacks in the game. And I think Matt Ryan has the best early season schedule of any quarterback in the NFL. All better values in fantasy drafts than Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't hate players, I hate ADPs. And while I'm a fan of Jimmy Garoppolo, and his swaggering masculinity. I'm not drafting him in fantasy football. Matthew Stafford has arguably the best receiving core in the game. I'm going to look at this Jimmy Garoppolo profile on playerprofiler.com. On the right-hand side, I see it says, play Dalvin Cook on Apex Fantasy Leagues. And that's what you should be doing. If you're going to play in high stakes, why would you play on a platform with single matchups? You could have the best team and miss the playoffs. That happens all the time. It's never happened to me because I've never had the best team, but I've heard it happens a lot. That's why Apex has doubleheader matchups every week and blind bidding on free agents. So Apex nullifies the random chance. If you're listening to this program, you likely have the confidence that you're one of the best fantasy gamers in the business because the best fantasy gamers in the business listen to the Roto Underworld podcast. It's just a fact. So if you are one of the best, you should want to play high stakes on a platform that minimizes random chance and emphasizes skill. And that's Apex. The next time you're on a player page, look under the Spark X score and click the link to play that player on the Apex platform. And earlier this week, we received back-to-back reports that will devastate draft capital zombies. Just drafting the players... With first round draft capital, not looking at their profile. Don't care. Don't care. Were you drafted in the first round or not? Calvin Ridley is better than Anthony Miller and Christian Kirk and Michael Gallup and Traquan Smith. Why? First round. First round. First round. No. For months and months and months, we've been saying this. Calvin Ridley was never a top five rookie wide receiver. When you looked at Calvin Ridley's profile, it was not the profile of a top five receiver and absolutely not the profile of a first round pick in the NFL draft. So if you're going out and just pushing the button on Calvin Ridley because draft capital, you're doing it wrong. Just like going out and pushing the button on Kevin White because draft capital was wrong because Kevin White is projected to not make the 53-man roster. Same with Brashad Perriman, another first round pick not projected to make the 53-man roster. These are two of the most epic busts in the history of the wide receiver position in the NFL. And both are projected to be cut loose when their teams cut down to 53-man rosters. If you're drafting these players at any point in a seasonal league, you are doing it wrong. It's my biggest lesson learned as a fantasy analyst, not to chase the exciting size-adjusted athletes to go deeper, to emphasize age-adjusted college dominance. Something that Kenny Galladay and Taewon Taylor and Chris Godwin delivered in a way that Kevin White and Brashad Perriman and Mike Williams and John Ross and Calvin Ridley did not. And we've talked a lot about real-time fantasy sports on this show. rtsports.com forward slash underworld. rtsports.com forward slash underworld. My new favorite place to play best ball leagues, but they also support Dynasty. This is important. 
every other day on the Patreon community message boards, we receive an inquiry, what's the best Dynasty League platform? And the most underrated Dynasty League platform is absolutely real-time fantasy sports. You need to check it out. They have revamped every aspect of their platform and its functionality. The mobile experience has been significantly enhanced. They're doing more draft master best ball tournaments than ever before. And the flexibility they offer Dynasty Leaguers is at another level. So check it out, rtsports.com forward slash underworld. Now, we need to talk to JJ Zacharyson right now. Follow him at late round QB on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. It's time. I'm tapping my right arm. I'm bringing in the closer. That's right. Fantasy football summer closer. JJ Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief at FanDuel. Talk to me. What's going on, buddy? I'm ready for the season to start. I, I, this time of year, I'm, I'm sure that you agree. I'm just, I'm so over it. I'm so over the takes. I'm so, so over the, the arguments, the back and forth. Like, I just want to see these guys on the field so we can just stop. I was over it three months ago. Same. I want to see Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and even Josh Allen. I want to see them on a professional football field playing in games that matter now. I'm ready for Saquon Barkley now. I'm ready for the show to start. Enough with the previews. Yes, my cell phone's turned off. Fucking start the show! I don't know why I was so mad about that. But you know who's not ready for the season to start? Alshon Jeffrey. I knew you were going to say Alshon. Oh, the segue! (laughs) And I think that at this point, there's just not enough time for fantasy analysts or fantasy gamers to fully internalize this news. That it's going to be impossible for Mike Wallace and Nelson Aguilar to be properly valued over the next week. You would agree? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I would argue that pretty strongly that both of them were undervalued even before all of the Alshon news. That's part of the problem. What, what's really weird with Nelson Aguilar, though, I, I think that the community is getting smarter when it comes to looking at general regression and looking at, you know, these things, you know, Deshaun Watson or maybe maybe not Deshaun Watson to a degree just because he still has a fairly high ADP. But, um, you know, like a I don't know, Jimmy Garoppolo or something has a reasonable ADP despite the fact, you know, despite the sample size, yada, yada, yada. Nelson Aguilar. So the the season ended and I remember doing a a uh, a regression candidate uh, podcast. And on the podcast, I talked about Nelson Aguilar because Aguilar last season scored way too many touchdowns versus, you know, how many yards he had and and, and so on. Um, I understand his usage in the red zone was great, but at the same time, you have an offense where Carson Wentz had an unsustainable touchdown rate. That's not going to happen again this year. So all these things are sort of compounding where you look at Nelson Aguilar and you say, okay, he's going to need a decent uptick in volume in order to live up to his, oh, wait, his ADP is not where close to where he finished last year. Self-correcting, right? The fantasy industry is self-correcting at this point. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of everybody. Good job, everybody. But it's time to draft Nelson Aguilar. It was interesting to see, though. Um, and so I, I think that Aguilar is definitely undervalued right now. Um, I snagged him in a draft last night. And by the way, the easiest way to see the expected touchdowns from last year, see how skewed the touchdowns were versus touchdown expectations on Nelson Aguilar's profile, go to playerprofiler.com. His red zone target share, 23.1, outside the top 25. His red zone receptions... 
top five. Right. His touchdowns, top five. Right. There's the incongruence right there. Yeah, the Eagles were good at converting into scores through the air in the red zone last year. And I mean, the Eagles were really good at converting through the air period into touchdowns last year. Hence, Carson went to seven and a half percent touchdown rate, which we've seen over history. That's going to drop that. That type of touchdown rate will drop two and a half ish percent in, in, in year N plus one. So, um, that, you know, that's not going for him positively with, with Aguilar. Um, but Mike, Mike Wallace, I think was always sort of a, especially in deep leagues, especially in best ball leagues, uh, was always a screaming value just because we know that he was going to be on the field. Um, and he's he's a good wide receiver. He's an undervalued and underrated wide receiver just inherently. Who have Mike Wallace's quarterbacks been since he left Pittsburgh? Off the top of my head? Ryan Tannehill, Matt Castle. They've been bad. And Joe Flacco with a broken back. Right. They've been bad since since Big Ben. Right. Bad quarterback play in every destination until now, because you have to admit, at least Carson Wentz is an above average quarterback. Touchdown rate regression aside. Yeah. I mean, like he's still, you know, league average last year is about 4.2%. He's going to be above league average because he's not a league average quarterback. Usually we'll, we still see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees have, you know, higher than average touchdown rates, even though that's a, a metric that will regress in some way, just given that touchdowns are fairly random and the way that teams score them are, are is random yeah why does Devonte adams and rob gronkowski always score above average in number fires net expected points metric right because look who's delivering the footballs yeah i mean I, i'm a i'm a big fan at keeping things simple with with touchdown regression and just looking at receiving yards and finding how many receiving yards per touchdowns uh is, is average and what what the league average scores and just comparing and contrasting it's a really you know and it's an easy way as a communicator of this information to explain regression and to explain that, yes, we know that yards correlate to touchdowns. And therefore, if you just look at yards divided by touchdowns and find the average over the last X amount of years, you can then compare that average to what someone did last season. So for instance, you know, Calvin Johnson back in 2011 or whatever it was, 2012, where he had like, you know, 1900 or 2000 yards or whatever, and only scored five times, you know, you know that there's going to be some sort of positive regression. Julio Jones this year, scores three times last year. You know that he's not going to do that again this year. And then you kind of compare and contrast and see where those players' ADPs rest based on what they did the previous season. And that's why I was surprised and sort of shocked that Nelson Aguilar didn't have a higher ADP given where he finished last year and given that he had eight touchdowns. So I'm all about both of those players, especially with the Alshon news. People are listening to us. People are listening to us. And with Mike Wallace, let me put this in context with Mike Wallace last season. 52 total receptions. Got it? Three red zone receptions. Three out of 52 of his receptions were in the red zone because he wasn't used in the red zone, because the Ravens weren't operating in the red zone very often. This is why Mike Wallace's ADP is broken. Like, his ADP isn't working. Like, you just try to start his ADP. It doesn't start. This ADP is so dead. It's a clerical error, Mike Wallace's ADP at this point. Alshon Jeffrey's out. He's not going to play. Why are you not drafting Mike Wallace? Why this isn't hard? Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, man. This is the Eagles we're talking about. Yeah, we don't even know when Alshon's coming back. Well, this is why you shouldn't be drafting injured players also. And I made this mistake in our Apex draft. I assumed Alshon Jeffrey would be ready for the season. He had shoulder surgery. The shoulder would be fixed. He'd be ready. That was an inaccurate assumption. Why don't more fantasy gamers simply avoid drafting injured players early? I mean, I think it's I think that there's some nuance there. Like like I think that there are you have to play pay attention to the market and you have to you have to see how things are reacting. I think that like 
with Doug Baldwin, for instance, obviously that's the hot news with him coming out and saying that he's going to be 80 to 85% or whatever most of the season. Yeah, that was a subversive troll of Doug Baldwin. Yeah, and I think that, like, let's just assume that Doug Baldwin's 85% for the entire season, right? Like, let's just assume that he's not he's he's not Doug Baldwin. I don't think that that makes Doug Baldwin completely undraftable. I think that it, it depends on where Doug Baldwin's ADP falls. If, if Doug Baldwin's ADP is still in the mid-third round, then you shouldn't be drafting Doug Baldwin. If Doug Baldwin's ADP falls into that fifth-round range where there's still some question marks around some of those wide receivers that are being drafted in that range, then I can understand it a little bit more because if you're saying I'm getting 85% of Doug Baldwin in an offense with with, with only Tyler Lockett uh, and in an offense that's probably going to see a decent number of negative game scripts because the defense has lost four of their biggest players this offseason, even if they want to be a run-first team, they probably won't be able to because of those scripts and because of their awful offensive line. And then you have a slot receiver in Doug Baldwin who's sort of perfect for that situation, which is why so many analysts were high on him entering the year or entering the offseason, including me, including you, right. Uh, I, I think that that in that situation, you can still look at Doug Baldwin and say, okay, look, I'm not going to draft him in the, you know, at, at wider, in the top 15 or 20 wide receivers right now. But once you hit some of that, th- those question marks, once you get into that, like, you know, even like a Corey Davis range, I mean, we, we don't know exactly what, you know, I love Corey Davis, but we don't know exactly how that's going to play out. Right. Even Brandon Cooks, there is uncertainties around the target share. There's questions about Marquise Goodwin. I understand that he has excelled in preseason, but we've never seen Marquise Goodwin, who's on the back half of his career, ever be a true primary option in a passing game. So there are plenty of receivers in round five, for example, Yes, that have a lot more uncertainty than Doug Baldwin, who will have to play hurt. Right. And I, I think that the other thing that we always have to keep in mind, too, is that, like, like of course, there's an increased chance that he hurts it worse or whatever. You know, I'm not a freaking doctor. I don't know how that's all going to work. But there's that increased chance that, you know, his knee gets. But look, there, there's a chance that literally everyone in this league ends up getting injured in some way. And there's also a very decent likelihood that a large percentage of these players, and we don't know about it, but a large percent of these percentage of these players are playing at 90 or 95% for most of the season. I mean, it had Marlon Mack wasn't playing at a hundred percent all of last year. And we, you know, there's, and there's some injuries that we don't learn about until after the season's over. Um, you know, so I, you know, and another thing too, is that if you're going to discount someone like Doug Baldwin, or if you're going to say, I'm not going to draft Doug Baldwin because of this injury, be consistent. Be consistent with the way that you're approaching injured players. Because if you feel that way about Doug Baldwin, then maybe you should feel that way about Andrew Luck and the rest of the Colts offense. Or maybe you should feel that way about Chris Thompson. Because Chris Thompson did something that we rarely see, which is that he volunteered the knowledge that he's not 100%. You very rarely hear that from the players. The last thing they want to do is give their competitors a window into their abilities. No professional athlete ever wants to do that. So the news item that was most insightful of the entire offseason was the revelation that Chris Thompson would not be 100% until November. Mm -hmm. That's actionable information. That's why he didn't rise up quite as much on our world-famous draft kit extreme cheat sheet world famous and extremer in quotes as he would have otherwise and now they sign adrian peterson and everything changed and he and his opportunity share necessarily dropped after that news but the larger point is we're fortunate to have this window into the truth about chris thompson's leg 
and Doug Baldwin's knee, but that doesn't mean you completely dismiss them in fantasy drafts. Yeah, I mean, look, and to, speaking of the consistency piece, you see analysts, it, it, the, the reason so many analysts and, and pundits have been talking about Doug Baldwin's knee is because he was so open to how he was feeling. Exactly. This is why they don't share this information with us. Right. If he would have never said any of that, his ADP would barely budge. Like, Jarek McKinnon's hurt. Okay, is why aren't we seeing more analysts talking down on this injury with Jarek McKinnon? I'm terrified of this Jarek McKinnon injury. It's behind the knee. Yeah, there's stuff going on with all of these play uh. like, with so many players where we have to, you know, like Rex Burkhead. I love Rex Burkhead this year. I've been drafting Rex Burkhead everywhere because I think that his his ceiling is insanely high, right? But there's still a piece of me that's scared because he had this knee injury during during camp and, and during the, the preseason. Sony Michelle as well. They both have slight tears of ligaments or cartilage in their knees. The only healthy running back in that New England backfield is the running back that I own more sh- that I own more than any of the others. James White. James White. That's right. Because of the law of the conservation of opportunities in the backfield. He's going to get opportunities in a prolific offense, and that matters. And the same could be said for Tyler Lockett, as you mentioned. Can anything stop Tyler Lockett from becoming a thing, given everything you laid out about the Seattle Seahawks offense? I'm really into Tyler Lockett this year. Um, just given given ADP, given uh, what we know about him as a prospect and as a player, he's flashed at times. We know that he's super athletic. Just given what we've seen him in in the return game, especially, um, I, 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 you know, and look, volume and opportunity is going to drive this thing. And. Oh, yeah. Like I said earlier, in Seattle's offense, they want to be this run-first team with Schottenheimer running things, and and they're drafting a Rashad Penny. It's a clear, you know, and even things that, that Pete Carroll has said this offseason. I mean, it's very clear they want to be more balanced. But teams can't just be more balanced. It doesn't just it doesn't just happen. You have to be good in order to be balanced. And Seattle is not going to be very good. Chris Raybon had a tweet weeks ago that I keep citing because he noticed that the first 15 games for Seattle this year, they were favored in only three of them. Seattle is going to see a lot of negative game scripts this year. And when you're in negative game scripts, you can't just pound Chris Carson up the middle. You can, but it's ridiculously stupid and you're going to lose a lot of games. So to me, Tyler Lockett, just being the de facto number two receiver uh, or number two target, I should say, on that team, uh, it should be should have a chance to be fantasy relevant, with especially with Russell Wilson throwing on the ball. Um, and then this Doug Baldwin injury just, you know, makes just rises or allows Tyler Lockett to rise a bit. Um, and I do think that Tyler Lockett's talented. I mean, yeah. talent plus opportunity equals fantasy points. The fundamental equation of fantasy football. There was a lot of hyperbole with Tyler Lockett back in the day, right? Like two years ago that he was the next Antonio Brown. I mean, the things that people say about Stefan Diggs, they were saying about Tyler Lockett two years ago um, within the industry and with it. That that's but but that's not necessarily a bad. Th- I'm not saying that is like this is a bad thing. I'm saying that isn't like that's how people viewed his talent. Like mm. Tyler Lockett was once a very highly sought after asset, both in season long and in dynasty. And then this offseason, I'm sitting here trading third round picks for Tyler Lockett. Oh. And it, like like beautiful. Right. Like, why would you why would you not see that opportunity coming just given they lose Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham and all of a sudden 33 percent of their targets are gone? Of course, that they're going to have to utilize Tyler Lockett. So I like Tyler Lockett. He's on a lot of my teams this year. I hope a breakout's coming. I think he's talented and he's he's in the right offense, I think, for that breakout to come. 44 percent dominator rating 
at Kansas State. That's 89th percentile, a very high percentile for a Division I conference mm-hmm. wide receiver. Most of the wide receivers in the 90-plus percentile and dominator rating are like Keelan Cole. They went to Kentucky Wesleyan. Tyler right. Lockett did it at Kansas State. Why? Because he's a fantastic receiver. And his comps on player profiler are more Deshaun Jackson, John Brown, T.Y. Hilton, not Antonio Brown, and Stephon Diggs. That's why we rely on the metrics for our comps, not the eye test. Now, Royce Freeman's comps are also exceptional. We're talking Steven Jackson. We're talking Le'Veon Bell. Royce Freeman looks like the truth and you could still get him in the middle rounds because of the presence of wait for it Devonte booker this is the perfect buying opportunity for zero rb fanatics royce freeman right yeah i mean I, I like freeman a lot i was you know obviously i'm i'm team production uh when it comes to prospecting so i was all about yeah i mean i was all about royce freeman coming in i remember where i was when we were texting about ronald jones and his lack of production in the passing game And we both agreed analysts are going to love Ronald Jones and we will not be one of them. Yeah. I mean, receiving is such a big deal. Even if they're not receivers at the NFL level, if they're receivers in college, it matters so much. And Ronald Jones wasn't. And people just kept making excuses and excuses and excuses. But, you know, aside from Ronald Jones, I'm sure we'll talk about him eventually. But I have no Ronald Jones anywhere. It's never even occurred to me to push the button on Ronald Jones. And I'm about to draft Ronald Jones because I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. And if I can get Ronald Jones in the double-digit rounds and I already have Peyton Barber, then it makes perfect sense for me to draft Ronald Jones right here, right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but with, with Royce Freeman, I mean, so there's the idea of buy, you know, of, of rational thinking from coaches, right? And we can't just assume that coaches are going to be rational. But I think that the difference here, so I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Let me let me just try to try to brain vomit really quick. Yeah. So. I mean, I would say let's unpack your thoughts, but you could say brain vomit. That's fine. Yeah, brain vomit's usually the the phrase that I go with there. Um, <laughs> so if we sit here and we say, "Hey, running backs don't matter in the in the the in real football and in the NFL," which I know you agree with, I agree with, they, they don't matter to to the degree that the consensus thinks. I should say, you know, it's not like Le'Veon Bell is a worthless asset. That's not what I mean. I'm gonna do puke sounds behind this little puke sounders. As you're talking, you know this. That's good. I like that. But if we if we sit here and say in one breath, in real football, running backs don't matter. But then in the next breath, we say talent at the running back position should win out. I think that the, the problem with only going with that sort of train of thought is that then we assume that coaches can sort of see the difference or the delta between a one running back from the next. And if we if we're, if we're saying it's not really possible to see that difference very easily, you know, in terms of like what it does to the to the to the end game or, or how it impacts an offense, then it's going to be more difficult for a coach to see that. Now, the difference is when you're talking about someone like Royce Freeman, who could be an extreme talent versus Devonte Booker, who's had opportunity and hasn't shown anything. I think that's when the con when, when there's a clear contrast. Right. I, I see it. I see it more in situations where it's like Green Bay, right? I love Aaron Jones. You love Aaron Jones. He's the most talented running back on that team, right? Can't draft him. 
But with but with Jamal Williams, it's not like Jamal Williams is this horrific running back. He's worse than Aaron Jones, in my opinion, from a talent standpoint. But the way that the coaches view him is a lot different than the way a coach should hypothetically be viewing Devontae Booker versus Royce Freeman in that Jamal Williams, you know, the difference between Jamal Williams being on the field versus Aaron Jones being on the field really probably isn't going to be that significant from like a real football standpoint. It shouldn't be that significant. But from a talent standpoint, I see it as significant when you're looking within the context of running backs only. And looking within the context of a particular backfield, this is why I'm about to draft Ronald Jones over Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb is sharing a backfield with Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde. These are both established NFL running backs. One's an elite satellite back. The other was a bell cow in the NFL last season. Ronald Jones is competing for touches with Peyton Barber, who is unproven, and Jaquiz Rogers. Right. So, so when you're looking within the context of it, of of the of the individual backfield, I genuinely think that a lot of times it's it's literally just going to be Mike McCarthy sitting there saying, "Yeah, I like Jamal Williams more," you know, and, and it's not going to be it's not going to be quantitative. It's not going to be super super thought out um, because they're not going to be able to see the difference between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams very easily because it's very hard to measure the true importance of a running back. And they don't use playerprofiler.com or numberfire. Right. And if but but with someone like Royce Freeman versus Devontae Booker, when when the talent is so extreme, yes. that's when I think we should buy into the talent a little more in that backfield and go with someone like Royce Freeman. Whereas if it's Green Bay and you know that whoever's back there is going to perform and then they're not going to be able to see the difference between those two players, then just get Jamal Williams. Even though I, it sucks to say that because I'm an Aaron Jones truther, you're an Aaron Jones truther. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's how fantasy football works. You want to buy into volume and that's what's going to happen or that's what it, it looks like is going to happen with Jamal Williams this year. I have Aaron Jones in 50% of my dynasty leagues. No Jamal Williams. Same. I have Jamal Williams in 50% of my seasonal leagues. Yes. No Aaron Jones. Right. That's exactly how I've approached it, too. And I'm not sorry. It's just rational. That's exactly how I've approached it. So I, I think, you know, my overall thoughts on this is, you know, when there is a very, very extreme talent difference in an offense that's not going to, to, to overshadow running back production, as in any running back can play in that offense, which I don't think this is necessarily true with Denver because Denver's offense might not be super, super efficient through the air, yada, yada, yada. So I, I think that when there is that extreme, you can go with the talent and buy into the talent a little more easily. But when it's an offense where you can literally drop in a running back, and, and I have another instance of this that we're going to get to later in the show, where you can drop in a running back and that running back's going to perform, I care less about talent. Yeah, that's the situation that Jamal Williams finds himself in. We need Royce Freeman to perform, everybody. Even if you didn't like Royce Freeman throughout the pre-draft process, you need Royce Freeman to be good. Because if we don't have Royce Freeman producing, this rookie running back class is fucked. Do you understand that? This rookie running back class is a catastrophe when you look at where it is now versus where it was supposed to be versus expectations. It, 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 it's been an apocalypse for the rookie running backs the last three months. I'm going to spin this positively for you, okay? I, I need something. I, I, yeah, I agree that you know if your expectation was that there was going to be, and, and this was the expectation at one point, that we were going to see a similar class to what we saw last year. Yeah, oh yeah. Let's let's look at the first three rounds and then the picks that the running backs that went in the first three rounds. You have Darius Geis. He tore his ACL. You know, he was looking fine before he tore his ACL. Uh, this is a part of the problem, though. 
So Sony Michelle had a knee procedure. Oh, oh. Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny. Sure, he has Chris Carson in, in his backfield, but there's all he's all he also broke his finger, and that's oh. not helping. Things. Jesus. And then and then we have and then the other two guys. Honestly, though, Saquon Barkley's hurt too. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, the other two guys though, Nick Chubb and Carryon Johnson, who aren't hurt, who seem healthy, are both in the cra- most crowded backfields of all of the backs that were drafted in the first three rounds. Oh, oh no. So it's really just like this perfect storm of just awfulness. And really, if you want to be real, Matt, the one player who actually is underperforming in terms of like his talent and ability on the field is Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones was the signature overrated running back of this class. And I was fine if Ronald Jones flamed out and the other running backs performed. But now most of these running backs aren't healthy or they're trapped on bad teams or in three-way backfields. It's worst case scenario. It's bad. Meanwhile, in Washington, Adrian Peterson just walks in the door and they're like, hey, do you want all the carries and all the touches with the first team? And he's like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. So he's going to be good this season, isn't he? The thing that pisses me off about AP is that, yes, his production might be okay, but they have to change that offense in a way that is pro Adrian Peterson. And anytime that you have to change an offense to fit into a running back style or, or help a running back be, be more efficient, especially Adrian Peterson style. Yeah. In order to help a running back be more efficient. That's the, that's an awful approach. And we, we saw it in the preseason, the way they, the, the, their, their, the way that they changed that offense up scares the living hell out of me because if they do feature Adrian Peterson, which look, all, all signs point to them using him on early downs. Yep. It's, it's frightening to what that could do to the overall effectiveness of that offense. I just feel bad for Washington fans because they had Darius Geis, a generational talent at running back. And now they go to Adrian Peterson who needs the offense to be formed around him in order to even operate at 3.8 yards per carry. So having him on the field necessarily leads to suboptimal play calling. Yeah, my fear is that Washington's going to line up and some of their formations are going to be very, very obvious runner pass. That That's that's the fear when you have Adrian Peterson. And Alex Smith, if you look at their offense last season and why Alex Smith thrived, super creative offense, just move guys around consistently, uh, and we're able to to open up holes that way for, for someone like Kareem Hunt. An incredibly versatile running back. Right. You're not going to get that with Adrian Peterson. So my fear with Adrian Peterson isn't some like from a fantasy perspective, whatever, he'll, he'll get volume and probably will average like four yards of carry and get goal line looks. So he's fine. Right. Yeah. Great. But from like an actual effectiveness of that entire offense, it doesn't scare me off of guys like Jamison Crowder or Jordan Reed per se, but it does worry me a bit about just, you know, the, the overall effectiveness of how that offense might perform this year. Yeah. As an Alex Smith advocate, You hate Adrian Peterson going to Washington. Washington could be more predictable on running downs than even the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. And they lost Marquise Lee, and Marquise Lee was the ultimate flaccid wide receiver. I mean, if there was a wide receiver in the league that never inspired a single erection, it was Marquise Lee during his time in the NFL. Who is the guy now? Who is the true number one, the guy to draft in fantasy leagues in Jacksonville at wide receiver. I think people are overthinking the crap out of this. Okay. You have, you have Keelan Cole, who's playing starter reps 
with that team with Marquise Lee when Marquise Lee was before he went down. Keelan Cole was better last year than D.D. Westbrook when he was on the field. He was Thank super you. productive. Thank Keelan you. Cole was more productive in college, one of the most productive receivers that we've seen in a really long time. Keelan Cole has much more attractive of a, a body size and BMI than what we see from D.D. Westbrook. I, I don't see the reason to go after someone like D.D. Westbrook when we saw that Keelan Cole's ceiling is actually pretty decent. It's high. He's a possession receiver who can deliver splash plays. Yeah, like he was good last year. Can I give you a couple other possession receivers in the league that deliver splash plays? Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs. Comparing Tyler Lockett to Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs never made sense. It makes more sense to compare Keelan Cole to those players because Keelan Cole understands the nuances of the position like a wide receiver savant. There's no other explanation for how he can be so effective both before and after the catch with below average speed and burst. All he has going for him is average agility. Well, that's Antonio Brown. Certain wide receivers have a je ne sais quoi factor for the position. Keelan Cole has that. No one's saying he's going to be Antonio Brown. But I have no problem comparing wide receivers to Antonio Brown when it's apropos. And once in a while it is. And we're in that situation now with Keelan Cole. So just go out and don't overthink it and draft Keelan Cole. Also, I would remind fantasy gamers that in week one, the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing the New York Giants, who are famously civ-like against tight ends. I mean, is there a better week one streamer than Austin Safarian Jenkins? I think he's a good streamer for sure. Um, I, here, here's the thing with week one and early season streaming is that hopefully in your draft you didn't because it, tight end is about 13 or so deep. You know, you can you can feel comfortable with like Jack Doyle. Yeah, Jack Doyle or like David Njoku is going to go nuts in week one against Pittsburgh. And like like there's there are players like that where, you know, they're, they're fringe tight end ones, but you should feel fine using them in week one. So week one tight end streaming specifically is always kind of strange inherently. But ASJ is a great play. I think that, you know, other guys like uh, Ricky Seals Jones is very attractive to me. Um, I, I think that he's a he's a good late round uh, dart throw just given uh, the shallow targets or t- target distribution in Arizona. His efficiency last year and then if if Vance McDonald can go in week one that would be awesome but it doesn't sound like um they're very optimistic so Jesse James is actually kind of interesting too against Cleveland oh no 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 yes it gets that Tampa 2 the deep Tampa 2 that Greg Williams implements they seed receptions to the tight end so Jesse James is maybe the best streamer and in DFS less expensive than Austin Safarian Jenkins he's the play but there's copious options at tight end in week one which is why you shouldn't overdraft the position unless you can get Gronkowski because Gronkowski could have one of those signature Rob Gronkowski seasons 15 touchdowns be a league winner it's in his range of outcomes but if not Rob Gronkowski wait and then when you're done waiting wait longer so speaking of that I did a tight end study this offseason on just generally you know should you be drafting Gronk should you be drafting these early round tight ends and what I found was Really, it's crazy. But uh, when looking at ADP versus season-long production over the last seven seasons, uh, tight end one to tight end twelve. So you're looking at you know tight end ones in ADP, tight end two ADP versus how they perform that season. Tight end one to tight end twelve had literal zero correlation in their ADP versus how many points they scored. But what? when you looked at yeah, meaning meaning that in in that sample, the tight end eleven or twelve hypothetically has just as good of a chance of scoring uh, more points than the tight end too. But 
but when looking but when looking at tight end one to tight end six, there was a correlation. Okay. There which tells you that middle round tight ends, you should not be drafting them. Middle round tight ends perform worse often than these tight end eleven, tight end twelves, the George Kittles, the the Trey Burtons, the uh Kyle maybe not Kyle Rudolph as much, but the David and Jokus, those types of players, the middle round tight ends are just death. And it's similar at quarterback. Quarterback is is a it's a it's a really similar situation where when you hit that QB twelve spot, that's when you start to to see production rise versus these middle round quarterbacks who might get you QB eight or QB nine production, but that's not really doing anything for you. Right. Tight end seven through tight end twelve, they have all the value baked in. Right. And then all the QB ones, their value is typically baked in because there's even more variance at that position. But I don't want to get into streaming quarterbacks right now with you. It'd be so easy for us just to descend in. Oh, let's stream quarterbacks with JJ Zacharyson. Yeah, baby. Let's do it on the Roto Underworld podcast. You're all right. But the study does say get Gronk or just don't or, or just wait. Get Gronk or wait, period. I love it when a study I've never read agrees with a take I've been playing on repeat on the Underworld pod for the last month. This is a good day. So we talked about how we're not overthinking the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver core. It's actually quite simple. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have the Saints wide receiver core. Who's the wide receiver behind Michael Thomas that fantasy gamers should be targeting, if any at all? What do you do with these highly ambiguous wide receiver cores? A month ago, I would have easily said Cam Meredith and just logged off, right? right? Um, but but his you know his playing uh, or his his being injured and not being able to be on the field and now. It sounds like he's going to play in this last preseason game, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he hasn't been 100%. He hasn't been getting reps um, and so on. So it's it's a little scary to, to draft Cam Meredith right now, even though I was super high on him a month ago. Um, Traquan has, has flashed. I mean, he's looked great in the preseason. Um, I, I think that... He's good. I think that the issue is with the Saints is that they're more than likely going to have what they do, which is rotating their, their skill players in and out. So you're going to see, you know, Ted Ginn playing flanker and then all, and then, you know, Trey Kwan's going to be in there in the next play, uh, playing that same position. Um, I think in an ideal world, Cam Meredith is playing the big slot for them, but they still rotate guys all around the field constantly and in and out of the game. So I think that if you're targeting a Saints wide receiver, you should just be striving for complete ambiguous upside. And given Cam Meredith's injury and where that's been trending, um, I think that you probably just want to look at Traquan. Yeah, why not? Or again, in a draft master best ball league, if you want to lock in those targets. Yeah, right, right. And the boom week. So Ginn in best ball. Traquan in traditional leagues and if he doesn't fire in week one just drop him and pick up someone else not a big deal yeah and look I think Cam Meredith can still have a decent season like I like that's part of his range of outcomes for sure I just think that you know hopefully you know hopefully if you were doing a lot of best balls or something you were able to just get a lot of Cam Meredith earlier and you just don't have to worry about it anymore and you're just hoping and praying that that something happens with him this year um, because look, I, I think that Cam Meredith is a, and you would agree cause I know you're a Cam Meredith guy, yeah. but he's, he, he's perfect for that slot role. Oh, in a vacuum, that was the best signing of the off season because they stole him from the bears. Yeah. A rival within the NFC. It was such yeah. a savvy bid on a restricted free agent. Uh, but look, like I said, I think that you just go for ceiling, see what happens with Drake and then, you know, if nothing happens over the first few weeks, you know, he's going to be 
probably going to end up being one of those guys on your bench that you drop one of the, the guys that you would drop first if nothing happens early on. And then you're going to hate yourself because week five comes around and he's just going to dominate or what I guess week he's going to light it up in the middle of the season. We know that's going to happen with Cameron Meredith. I'm calling that right now. You're calling it. We're all calling it. Right. So, so I can see, I can make a case for all of those guys. I think Ted Ginn is someone that I'm generally avoiding in a season long league where I can make transactions. Right. Because he's not, he's not someone that's going to be very predictable. He's not someone that's going to give you that massive ceiling from a season long perspective. But from a best ball standpoint, he might have spiked weeks and we know that he'll see some volume at least. Um, So from a season long perspective, I would look at Meredith or Traquan, but I think Traquan might have a higher ceiling at this point. I think he does. The receiver I've been drafting in all formats, draft master, traditional, seasonal, dynasty, doesn't matter. I have him everywhere. His name is Chris Hogan. And because I had drafted with a very similar group of fantasy writers and analysts prior in the Apex Experts League, I saw Chris Hogan as a fourth round pick when savvy drafters are in the room with you. So I did that. I pushed the button on Chris Hogan in the early fourth round, and I'm not sorry. Was that a mistake? No, I love Chris Hogan this year. Um, and the the other thing too, the other thing too, with a lot of the drafts that we do, when it's when it's analyst driven and it's uh, start three wideouts, you can flex and full PPR. It's just it's just a wide receiver heavy mess. Like it's insane the the types of wideouts that you get when you're in the fifth round and you think that you can you can wait on the position a bit. You can't. No, you can't. You got to get your guys, man. That was the mistake I made in Apex. I got stuck with Alshon Jeffrey. Fuck. To be clear, I have Chris Hogan as a as that's basically where I have Chris Hogan from a from a ranking standpoint. I have him at uh ahead of I have him ahead of Golden Tate right now. Um I, I think that Chris Hogan is in store for a big year. Um you look at last season before he got hurt, he was a wide receiver ten across fantasy. Um and then obviously right now you're gonna start the season the first four weeks of the year without Julian Edelman. <laughs> I mean <laughs> this is like Let's take a step back for a second and just process what you're saying in the context of an offense that traded away Brandon Cooks. I mean, it's actually comical how the moon and the stars are aligning for Chris Hogan. It's like Chris Hogan is on the Truman Show. Right. He's in a movie and everyone around him behind the scenes is just setting him up. To have huge boom weeks in fantasy football each and every Sunday. Right. And I'm very much a fantasy player who plays for the early season because I want to draft guys who sees their value increase after you draft them. It's a big reason why I'm not drafting LaShawn McCoy this year. Aside from the off the field stuff, aside from the offense he's in, aside from all of that, LaShawn McCoy's first eight weeks. I mean, there's so there the first three weeks they get like Minnesota and Baltimore and some other really good or defense like some someone really good. I can't remember off the top of my head, but LaShawn McCoy's schedule is horrific to start the season. And if you're drafting LaShawn McCoy in the third round, all of a sudden after the first five or six weeks of the season, he's more of a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick. Then you've lost value with what you got from LaShawn McCoy. First six weeks for the Buffalo Bills, Ravens, Chargers, Vikings, Packers, Titans. 
Texans. Yeah, it's not easy. Those are all fronts that <laughs> that are going to be rough, and that's all going to be negative game script fueled too for for Buffalo. Five of his first seven games are on the road. Yeah, it's bad. Like it's really bad for Lashawn McCoy. I haven't drafted a single share of Lashawn McCoy in my redraft leagues, my season long leagues, because of that. I want to get guys who are going to give me an impact right away, who are going to see their value jump right away. And Chris Hogan is in that perfect spot where Julian Edelman's going to be sidelined. They can. Chris Hogan's going to be peppered with targets to start the season. That's the only, they can't do anything else, right? And I'm not worried the way that others are worried about a wide receiver entering the picture at this point, because if another wide receiver, that's, that's, it's not an easy offense to just jump. We've seen it in the past. It's not an easy offense to just jump in and start seeing a lot of looks. So I think Chris Hogan's in an an unbelievable spot. I think his ADP is fantastic. uh, And I've drafted him probably more than any other wide receiver this season. You didn't get him in the Friends of Roto World draft. No, I didn't because you did. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And you have him ranked ahead of Golden Tate. But what if I told you the Patriots were about to acquire Golden Tate from the Lions for Malcolm Brown? I mean, I don't speculate, Matt. I don't speculate. I've heard that this trade is in the works, in quotes. I mean, if that happens, I would be, my pants would be off. Right? Because of, because of what it would do for him and what it would do for that offense. Although, like I said, I do think that it takes some time to get used to an offense like that. But, uh, baby Tron, baby. Baby Tron? Right? I love trades where everybody wins. Well, except Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan wouldn't win in that scenario. But you could argue that he and Golden Tate play completely different roles, and the big loser of that trade would be Julian Edelman. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that... I mean, we're, we're speculating. This is total it, speculation. It would, be, it, would be, it would be a strange... It would be strange. But I would get it from the perspective of, like, Edelman being on his way out, maybe. But, like, I, I don't... The trade makes perfect sense. If you're just analyzing it in a test tube. Right, right. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, don't get your don't get excited. Don't get too excited. You can't you can't get your hopes up on something like that. I mean, if Kenny Galladay were to be unlocked like that, because the beauty is it's not just Kenny Galladay that's unlocked because of the law of the conservation of targets. It's both Marvin Jones, who we love, and Kenny Galladay. These guys just need targets, and they would have all, all the targets in Detroit. Oh my God. It's sometimes really hard for people to understand that when I write up a play, like, so like Marvin Jones this year, great example. I love Marvin Jones. Love him. I was unfortunately a year too early on Marvin Jones a couple years ago, but, and and Marvin Jones is an unbelievable talent, but at, you know, where he's being drafted, I have hesitations because of his splits with him without Babytron last year. And just the fact that Kenny Galladay could emerge and, and be something bigger and, and all of that. I can't fault anyone for drafting Marvin Jones, but like I, it's so difficult. I'm sure you run into it too. And it, I guess it's, it sort of goes back to the conversation we had about Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones. It's so difficult sometimes to convey that talent isn't everything. And sometimes, you know, the talent doesn't win out or sometimes talent just can't just given what else is there. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to, uh, sort of convey and communicate to, to readers. We have this reckoning all the time on this show. The frustration with the irrational coaching moves, the irrational play calling, the irrational depth chart assignments, where the NFL is so often a seniorocracy, not a meritocracy. And we're seeing that in Tampa. And because we know that Peyton Barber is the starter, it's been announced. It's over. He won the job. 
Where should he be drafted in seasonal leagues now that we know that fact? I'd say that he's properly valued right now. Um, I, I I think that my you know the, my fear is that Tampa Bay is going to see a lot of negative. Sc- I don't think Tampa Bay is very good, um, especially those first three weeks of the season. They're going to see um, uh, New Orleans, Philly, and Pittsburgh. So those are three games while Jameis Winston's sideline where they're almost certainly going to see negative game scripts. So we don't know exactly. I know that that Sims is out, but we're, we don't know exactly how they're going to be playing that third down back role or who's going to be in there. Maybe it's quiz. Maybe it's a little bit barber. So that's a little bit scary. That's a huge reason why I'm off of, of Ronald Jones for the most part, too, is because he's definitely not going to be on the field on third downs, given what we've heard and what we've seen um, from him as a receiver, which we sort of knew coming in, just given his reception share coming out of school. We were texting about it. I remember where I was. Finally, I have an ally in my quest to dethrone Ronald Jones as the most exciting running back of this class. That was a beautiful moment. I think that the big thing with Peyton Barber is you just have to think about what his true ceiling is. You know, if you're going to go wide receiver heavy, he's a little bit easier to draft uh, in those middle rounds. But, you know, I looked at Fantasy Football Calculator before we hopped on today, and Tevin Coleman is going right next to Peyton Barber right now. And Tevin Coleman's ceiling, technically, is a lot higher than Peyton Barber's. I mean, it, it's it's obvious. You know, if not only does Tevin Coleman have flex appeal each year, but if something were to happen to Devontae Freeman then, then all of a sudden Tevin Coleman's a fringe RB1. Peyton Barber's never going to reach that point. It's just never going to happen. So uh, Tampa Bay was has been bottom seven in running back points scored in each of the last two years. And I think that as the season goes on, Peyton Barber's going to lose some work probably to Ronald Jones just naturally as he gets more used to the game and coaches and the coaches want to probably feature him a little bit more. So I think he's fine where he's at. I mean, I've drafted plenty Peyton Barber this year, um, but I also drafted him when he was in the you know 10th and 11th round as, as opposed to the 7th. I think where he's at now is kind of where he should be at. And, you know, it depends on your roster construction once you get there, if you want to get him or not. Yeah, I started four wide receivers in the Friends of Roto World draft, and Tevin Coleman went at slot 78 in round seven. And then two picks later, I picked Peyton Barber. I think that's where he's at. I think that that's the the logical place to to get Peyton Barber, and that's the logical roster construction to get a guy like Peyton Barber. Especially early, you know, if you're going to go zero RB, you want to get guys who are going to be able to produce early in the season. And I think Barber's at least going to get some production, just given what we know of that backfield. My running backs in that league are hilarious. It's Marshawn Lynch, Karrion Johnson, Peyton Barber, and Isaiah Crowell. Absolutely zero erections in that backfield. Minor David Johnson, Devontae Freeman, and Royce Freeman. Well, that's much better. <laughs> Neither one of us have Dalvin Cook, and you could argue he's in the best situation of all the running backs. They're guaranteed to experience a lot of positive game script, upgrade the offensive line, upgrade the overall offensive efficiency with Kirk Cousins. So we have him as a second rounder. But listeners accuse me of quarterback bias, disparaging Jimmy Garoppolo as a small sample trap while confidently drafting Dalvin Cook. So can you explain why Dalvin Cook is less susceptible to a small sample trap than a player like Jimmy Garoppolo this season? Yeah, because he's a running back and it matters a lot less. We're moving on. Who is the most overrated running back in fantasy football? So this one might might be a little bit surprising, but I've thought about this a lot in the way that I I play fantasy, right? Um I think that there are, you know, there's there are players where I just don't know what to do with and therefore I've just sort of faded naturally. One of those being like Kenyon Drake. You know, I just I don't know what to do with him. I think that Kenyon Drake could actually be really, really good. He really might be a, a very, very good running back. But the opposite could be true too, where where 
like we just don't know and it's not like the offense is that good to be a part of and all that. So he's someone that I just try not to talk about too much. Right. He's the most overrated running back in the league. I would agree. If Kenyon Drake broke out at the NFL level this season and became a top 10 running back, for example, do you know who would be the most surprised of all people, not just in the football world, in the world, on planet Earth? Do you know who would be the most surprised by this? Who's that? Nick Saban. Because Nick Saban had Kenyon Drake for four years. Yeah, it didn't do anything with it him. It didn't give him a touch. Right. said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going with Mark Ingram. Thanks, right. but no thanks. We're going with TJ Yeldon. Thanks, but no thanks, Kenyon. We're going with Derrick Henry. Yeah. So Kenyon Drake, I mean, everything that he did last year looks great. In those three games, yes. He's a guy that like last month I wrote up as a player to avoid, but it's really only because it's it, he's not the type of player that I target in fantasy drafts. I have some shares of Kenyon Drake, but it's not someone who I've consistently gotten in the third round. The player that, again, this has everything to do with the way that I approach fantasy football. And it might not be very popular, but I'm going to say Mark Ingram. Oh, what? What? We agree on a lot of stuff. I just want to throw this Mark Ingram take out there. Okay. We know already going into the season that he's out for the first four weeks. Okay. So you have to, you have to hold on to that roster spot and you have to also burn a late fourth round pick on to just to have Mark Ingram. I loathe lighting roster spots on fire. Yeah. And so then, then he comes back for a game against Washington. Okay. That's fine. He'll probably be an easy play against Washington. So week five, he comes back, plays Washington. Then he gets a bye. Okay. And then the Saints get the Ravens in Baltimore and then they get the Vikings who are going to be in New Orleans. Okay. Those are two very, very tough matchups for Mark Ingram. And then they get the Rams who definitely aren't a cakewalk either. We know the Rams improve their defense. I know that they, they'll, they'll give up. They'll, they'll probably be a decent uh, team to rush against, but the Rams aren't going to be a cakewalk. Okay. That's your fantasy season right there. So realistically, you're looking at maybe like two reasonable starts from Mark Ingram all during that stretch during the first half of the season, more than the first half from a fantasy season. And you're holding Mark Ingram on your bench during the hottest waiver wire period of the season. But then not only that, Matt, we've seen a rocky relationship with Mark Ingram and Sean Payton in the past. And since we know that running backs are replaceable in football and real football, this isn't something that I say with confidence, like it's going to happen. Okay. But I think that there is a scenario where Jonathan Williams takes that role, okay? And when Mark Ingram comes back, Jonathan Williams still has some sort of role in that offense, or they're just not very interested in Mark Ingram because it's a contract year for Mark Ingram. So there's a lot of different factors that go into the fact that I don't, you know, look, if Mark Ingram wasn't suspended, if none of this was a thing, of course I'd be drafting Mark Ingram. I'm not stupid. He's suspended. It's, it's the fact that all of these things are coming together for Ingram and it's an offense that we talked, like we talked about earlier, it's an offense that literally you could run behind. You could run behind that Saints offensive line with Drew Brees playing quarterback, throwing to guys like Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn and, and Cam Meredith. Jonathan Williams is going to look fantastic. Right. I don't care. I, I don't even remotely care how good Jonathan Williams is. If he Jonathan Williams was Mark Ingram 2.0, SEC grinder extraordinaire. Yeah, I'm telling you. That's why Jonathan Williams 
And I'm going to answer another question that we're going to talk about. So in the later rounds, the running back you're drafting is Jonathan Williams. I have so much Jonathan Williams this year because the first four weeks of the season, not only that, the Saints start out the first two weeks, they get Tampa Bay and Cleveland. So those first two games of the season, they're going to be in severe positive game scripts more than likely. And what do they do? What did they do last year when, when they got in those game scripts? They pounded the rock. You remember that game against Buffalo? All they did was just run, run, run because that's all they had to do. And in those situations, I mean, Jonathan Williams could could get between 10 and 15 touches in each of the first two games for the Saints this year. And that's why he's someone that I'm just targeting, because I think that there's this outside random chance that he carves out a role. And if he doesn't, OK, I still got at least two games out of him, especially from a zero RB perspective. So that's why Jonathan Williams has been the guy that I've been targeting a lot in the late rounds. The listeners know my guy is Rod Smith, but he doesn't have a role to begin the season. He's going to be a fringe satellite back. Now that they've moved Tavon Austin back to wide receiver, thank God. Talk to me about why you hate handcuffing running backs. I just like to be contrarian, Matt. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't like handcuffing because I think a lot of times, well, I know a lot of times just based on data that we think we know who that backup is when we don't. That happens often. Kerwin Williams last year is a perfect example. Oh God, don't remind me. The second, the second reason is that even when the backup plays, and this is all a study that I did, even when the backup plays, that backup doesn't produce like a starter. So I looked at some data. I can't remember the exact numbers with, with regards to how many of these running backs actually stepped up for an injured player. Um, but when they did, they basically averaged uh, 2016 Jalen Richard. That was that was their that was their points per game output whenever they did step in and play for that running back. Now, I also looked only at player and just just to, to clarify how I defined a handcuff. I looked at top 12 running backs, so RB ones. And then I looked at if they had a teammate that was being drafted late in draft. So like just to make it obvious that there was some uh, disparity between this is the clear RB one versus here's a clear guy who doesn't have a role. So I'm not talking about like I hate whenever I say I talk about handcuffs and they're like they're like, well, what about Tevin Coleman? Tevin Coleman's on a handcuff, you guys. What about Latavius Murray? Yeah, so I I don't I, I think that guys like him and he he's actually the the perfect like fringe example because technically Dalvin Cook's an RB one, Latavius is being drafted late, but I think that a lot of people have Latavius being projected into some sort of flex flex type role potentially, right? So I I looked at the way I see someone like James Conner or Rod Smith or Chase Edmonds. Those those types of players have zero role without an injury, right? Or or like you wouldn't be playing them. No, you're not going to play Rod Smith. Yeah, and I'm not drafting James Conner. I'm not drafting Chase Edmonds. I have all the Chase Edmonds in Dynasty. Yeah, let's see what happens with David Johnson. I'm not a handcuffer, but with Rod Smith, the moon and the stars are aligning, and he's answering all the questions that you posed to the handcuffer, right? Is there a clear-cut backup? He answers that definitively yes. If Ezekiel Elliott goes down, he gets a 90% opportunity share. I think that's definite. Is he good? I think the answer is yes at this point. Because the only reason he wasn't productive in college is because he was backing up Ezekiel Elliott! Here's another thing to note, is that I think handcuffing's fine when rosters are deep, right? If, if you have a if you have a 15-round draft in a tw 10 or 12-team league, you don't need to draft a handcuff. As soon as you get to like 20 rounds... You start to draft players that are no longer starters at any position except quarterback. You're not drafting multiple quarterbacks if you listen to us at all. Sure. So at that point, you want the most upside for a fringe stash guy. And my argument is that is Rod Smith, because not only 
Is he the defined backup with the ability, but the situation is such that if he were elevated, he would immediately become an RB1 in fantasy based on how run-oriented that offense is and how efficient the run-blocking unit is when healthy. Yeah, so another example of this is I'm in a, I did a draft. It's a semi-dynasty. It's like a six-keeper league, so it's like you know in the middle of like a you know, one or two keeper versus dynasty. And in that league, I had, I had a crazy draft last year and I had Kareem hunt before the Spencer Ware injury happened. You know, Alvin Kamara, I had all these crazy keepers. And so my team in a 12 team league, I have, I, I, I then drafted Zeke. It was an auction. I then drafted Zeke. I then drafted OBJ. So I have like four first round picks on my team right now in a 12 team league. So instead of Instead of going for upside, I don't need upside, right? I just need these guys to just stay healthy and I'll be fine. So in that case, my like fourth running back is Rod Smith. Because yeah. wh- why do I why do I need another running back when I have Zeke, Kareem Hunt, and Alvin Kamara, right? Yeah. He is actually an insurance policy. So few of these running backs, even James Conner, I would argue, not really an insurance policy. I'm higher. I, I look I, I didn't like James Conner coming out, but he's looked good this preseason. He looks like a different running back right now. He looks like someone who's finally over cancer. Yeah, right. It's like he had cancer. I mean, it's like he had cancer at one point, and now he doesn't. I'm going to spit somewhat of a hot take, but I wouldn't be surprised if if James Conner's performance throughout camp in the preseason, if they if they utilize him a bit this season, I wouldn't be surprised if that if, if that's what makes Le'Veon Bell expendable for them. Like if that's officially the reason they don't even go after him as a free agent. And Jalen Samuels is a fantastic receiver as well. Right. So they have a nice combination of a between the tackles grinder and Connor and a big space back in Jalen Samuels. So I, I don't think that Le'Veon Bell will be back with Pittsburgh. I think that he miscalculated. He should have taken the big contract extension this offseason. He fucked up. Now, if you had to overpay a player, would it be Kenny Galladay or would it be Chris Godwin? I know you love Galladay. Listen, I know you love Galladay. It's on brand. But you also respect Chris Godwin, right? Oh, I love Chris Godwin. I've been drafting a lot of both. Um, but I still think this season, if we're looking from a redraft standpoint, I mean, overall, I, I just I still like Galladay more. I can't fault someone for for leaning Godwin, but I do think that there's a clearer path to volume for Kenny Galladay. That's really what, I, and I and I I also think that his quarterback situations, but I know that his quarterback situations better. Yeah, early in the season, who is Chris Godwin's quarterback? It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's the reason right. why I'm not drafting Chris Godwin in seasonal leagues as much as I would like, because we highly value the performances early in the season. That's why we're drafting Jonathan Williams and not Mark Ingram. That's why we're drafting Nelson Aguilar and Mike Wallace before our competitors fully understand how valuable those players in those weeks are. And that's the reason why Kenny Galladay is a better play in fantasy leagues. But I do believe that Chris Godwin's better than Mike Evans. If I were starting a franchise today, I would build my receiving core around Chris Godwin before Mike Evans. You want to know of a player who I've, I don't think I've ever drafted in fantasy football? Tell me. Mike Evans. Me neither. I don't know what it's like to have him. <laughs> I don't think I've, I I traded for him last year in a league and it was a horrible idea because he was terrible down the stretch. Oh, Mike Evans second half of 2017. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's laughable. So Evans, to me, people treat him Wolf. as this 
as this elite wideout. But here's the thing. Elite wide receivers don't see their target share influenced by other players on their team. And what we saw last season with Mike Evans was an extrapolated target share that went down about 5% when they add Deshaun Jackson, uh, OJ Howard, and, and, and Chris Godwin. And, and that's not a good sign. A good sign is, hey, I'm Antonio Brown. I'm really good at football. I'm going to see 28.5% of the targets on my team each and every year. And that's the fear that I have with Mike Evans overall is that that he doesn't have this consistent target. And then there's a lot of, of advanced metrics that don't like Mike Evans. He's not a very efficient receiver. No. He's terrible after the catch. Awful. Uh, he's a good red zone player. I get like he can score touchdowns and he has that double digit touchdown upside. But that's also scary for me to bank on when there's a lot of good weapons in that offense. Let me give you a wow factor stat. You ready? Yeah. In 2016, Mike Evans, 175 yards after the catch was outside the top 65 wide receivers, despite 171 targets. Right. So he led the league in targets and was outside the top 65 in yards after the catch. And the, the crazy thing, too, is that even when you adjust for like a dot in those situations, Mike Evans still is horrific. Like like if you look at at a dot and compare Yak with a dot there's some relationship and then you can see guys like golden tate as like a massive outlier even like obviously golden tate catching the ball close to the line of scrimmage it, it enables him to have a higher yards after the catch but even when you adjust for that golden tate is amazing after the catch he's a very 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 special player right when you adjust for mike evans a dot and when you adjust <laughs> for where he's catching the ball mike evans is horrific after the catch it's like he catches the ball and just falls over and dies <laughs> Do the thought experiment. You're a quarterback. You're dropping back. You could throw the ball to Deshaun Jackson, or you could throw the ball to Chris Godwin, or throw the ball to Mike Evans. Mike Evans is my third choice. Yeah. Think about that. He he's a he's a scary, scary guy to draft. Um, because I think that he's just way too touchdown dependent. And I, I think that uh in that offense where there's talent rising and we already saw his target share influenced a bit. That's just, it's a, it's a recipe for him to not live up to his AD. I think he'll be like a wide receiver two this year, but he's not gonna be a wide receiver one. At least that's not how I'm projecting him. Because Chris Godwin's going to break out. And if Chris Godwin breaks out, that necessarily throttles Mike Evans. Sure. Same thing is true with Corey Davis in Tennessee. I'm not as enthusiastic about Corey Davis because I think Taewon Taylor is coming. How close is Taewon Taylor to that Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin face melting breakout smash tier of wide receivers? I, I have a feeling it won't happen this year. I thought it was going to a couple weeks ago, mm. but then the usage that he saw uh, in the last preseason game, like Tajay Sharp was playing ahead of him, and that's frightening. Very weird. Uh, um, and then Rashard Matthews is back. That's, I mean, Rashard Matthews is a very underrated player. Yeah. You've never heard me disparage Rashard Matthews. You know, I, I'm happy to temper expectations around Corey Davis. Sure. But you'll never hear a negative word about Rashard Matthews because Rashard Matthews is very much the anti-Mike Evans, where Mike Evans has the draft capital and all he's done is be inefficient year over year. So it's very difficult for any of these efficiency metrics to be sticky one way or the other. Yeah. They oscillate up and down. With Mike Evans, he's been consistently inefficient. And with Rashard Matthews, he was undrafted. And yet, regardless of quarterback play, he's been consistently efficient. Yeah, so over the last two years, I looked at this actually, over the last two years, if you look at uh, ADP versus points scored and find expected uh, expected points from that ADP and look at the delta between how many points the player scored versus how many he was expected to score, 
no player over the last two years at wide receiver has outscored ADP more than Rashard Matthews has. Rashard Matthews has been it's amazing. All he does is outperform his ADP because people he's not a sexy pick. No, um, but he's last two years he's had uh, top top thirty. Um, so over the last two seasons, the top thirty uh, touchdown shares, two of them come from Rashard Matthews. He's been involved where you want him to be involved he's been a very very effective wide receiver so i think him being healthy is very scary for taewon taylor i think they might shift taewon taylor to the slot which i would love i would like like to see that but i also i you know Corey davis's talent is is there um we know that he has the opportunity theoretically to to see a high target share in that offense and then obviously delaney walker's there and then they might still be somewhat of a run-heavy team. I think all of that just kind of comes together where it's like, I love Taewon Taylor. We talked about it. You know, last year I came on and I I professed my love for Taewon Taylor, but I don't know if this is the year for him anymore. You know, I I was I was optimistic earlier in August, but now just given all these revelations, I just I'm not as high on him. You mentioned that Rashad Matthews is unsexy. I have one wide receiver who's even less sexy than Rashad Matthews. His name is Mohamed Sanu. But are you going to be surprised when Mohamed Sanu outscores Calvin Ridley this season? I love when it's a when, not not an if. <laughs> oh, it's a when. There's no if about this one. No, I agree. Uh, I, I, I think it's hard. You know, I didn't mind Calvin Ridley coming out. It's just it's a situation where like, yeah, Calvin Ridley's fine, but he's not a, a player who's going to, you know, take over an offense. I don't think And I think he's a good complimentary player. Um, And Sanu's been playing ahead of him. Uh, I, I think that right now where we stand, Sanu is probably the better bet to outscore Calvin Ridley. You know, when wide receivers leave New Orleans and fail elsewhere, like Robert Meacham in San Diego. Well, that's what it's like for a lot of players when they leave Alabama and come to the NFL with high expectations. There's just no way that you can rise to those expectations that the Alabama uniform and the Alabama helmet bring. Or it's going to be, or you're an outlier. Yeah. I mean, Julio Jones is great and he happened to be playing in Alabama. And so it's possible, right? But the Alabama brand often sets players up to fail and no better example with Calvin Ridley. So I think Calvin Ridley is going to be a bust. We had two busts in the first round last year. Meanwhile, these third round picks like Galladay and Taewon Taylor and Chris Godwin are ascending. So the last couple draft classes, do you think they've finally killed the draft capital zombies forever? So I, I think that with wide receivers, I care a lot less about draft. And I put this in my model too. I, I, I care a lot less about uh, draft capital only because talent can emerge a lot easier at wide receiver than it will at running back. So with running back, for instance, I, I do care about draft capital to a, to a degree because opportunity is literally everything at that position. And it's not very hard for a running back to, you know, have a job and keep a job, let's say, uh, unless he gets hurt, you know, in an, in an individual season. Uh, but with wide receivers, it's very easy for them to just be bad. And it's very easy for us to see them be bad because they're not as dependent on so many other things happening on a football field. So like a running back. Yes, they're exposed. They're out of their own on an island exposed. Yeah, a running back might be bad, but if his offensive line is great, then he's fine. He, he He's fine. So if, if Rashad Penny or Rashad Penny is a bad example because I like him coming out. But let's just assume a bad running back gets drafted in the first round. Right. I don't care if that if that running back is bad because he's probably going to see opportunity. And if he's behind a good offensive line, then we're going to we're going to think that this running back's really good. We saw this with Trent Richardson in his first year in Cleveland. Yeah, sure. That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So that happens. But with wide receivers, it's just so hard to not be exposed when you're bad. And I'm not, I, I don't think that necessarily of like Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley's fine. But I, I do think that to your point with draft capital, it's, you know, I'm going to still weigh my evaluation a little bit heavier versus draft capital than what I would at running back. Yeah, if Calvin Ridley went to Central Florida and Traquan Smith went to Alabama, their draft positions would have been flipped. Yeah. And Traquan Smith, even though he's on the Falcons and not the Saints, he'd be being drafted in the first 10 rounds of fantasy drafts when players should be drafting Jamison Crowder. I mean, is there anything less surprising than Jamison Crowder of all receivers clicking with, of all quarterbacks, Alex Smith? No, it makes it makes too much sense. <laughs> I mean, what? Don't overthink it. Yeah, exactly. I'll say this too about that offense. Um, I, you know, every time I'm in a draft and I see Josh Doxson sitting there or Paul Richardson sitting there, I just, I, I just sit. I'm like, I'm not. Why do I need this? No. Like, do they really have wide receiver two upside? Like, I just, I question that every time I see Paul Richardson in a draft master best ball format only. Exactly. And never Josh Doxson. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it too. Jamison Crowder is kind of the de facto guy that I, I target. Um, I actually got him in the Roto World League that we were talking about. Um, but he's he's someone who I think is just going to have a decent floor for you. He has wide receiver two upside. Um, and if and look, I, I like Jordan Reed this year too. But if something were to happen to Jordan Reed, then all of a sudden some of those looks could could go Crowder's way as well. All right, message from Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Podfather for JJ Zacharyson. A trade for you to analyze because I found this question stimulating. There are so few questions about fantasy teams in the world that I find stimulating. This one, this one actually made me think. Yes, this is hard. Because this is a 16-team super flex league. And the offer is Amari Cooper and three 2019 first-round picks for Saquon Barkley. I mean, so you're asking someone who definitely devalues rookie picks, okay? Yeah. I, I think a lot of it, in, in this particular case, it's a stupid answer, but it, it does matter about your roster construction matters. It depends where you're at. It's incredibly important here because it's a 16-team league. Exactly. And if you, you know, like if you're weak at quarterback... There's position scarcity everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you 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 might need those picks. So if, if you're a contender, let's say, then I'm, I'm actually okay with doing it if you're a contender. But... If you're, you know, two years out, then you might want to, or I guess I, I would want Barkley if you're a contender. And if you're not, then maybe take the three picks in the, in Amari Cooper. This is why I said take Cooper in the picks, because in a super flex format, quarterbacks are very valuable. Yeah, they are. So when you go ahead and draft two quarterbacks in the first round next year, you'll be able to turn those quarterbacks, yeah. especially in a 16-team league, into valuable assets that when you add it all up in aggregate with Amari Cooper will dramatically exceed the value of Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I think that's the long-term play for sure. You're going to get you're going to probably extract more in the long in the long run by doing that. I I agree with you. Because I'm a person that wants the best player in every deal. Yeah, right. You have to really knock me over exactly with a gust of wind that will break glass to get me to take the side of a trade where I'm giving up the best player. Yeah. This was the one league format and offer where I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Enjoy Saquon Barkley. I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I also think Amari Cooper is going to have a bounce back year this year. Well, that's also part of it. Yeah. Another wide receiver. Eh, 
but Amari Cooper yeah, right. could smash, lead the league in targets, be a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. And if that happens, you will have crushed this trade. Right. Now, you're the editor-in-chief at FanDuel. Are you aware of this offer that FanDuel is providing to Roto Underworld listeners? Why don't you let them know about that offer? They approached me about this offer for the record. This was not my idea. They are giving listeners a free draft kit if they sign up for FanDuel and play in one $5 contest. So for $5, which you could turn into more than $5 or $5 you could lose, you get a free draft kit, which is $40. I don't understand how this magic happens in the marketing department at FanDuel, but on the behalf of the Roto Underworld audience, I wanted to thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love these awkward segments. I don't know. I don't represent FanDuel like that. I know you don't. It's just great. This is just, it's such a great thing. How many people now have access to our draft kit because of FanDuel? And when you go to playerprofiler.com and click on draft kit and you scroll down, you'll see that offer to get a free draft kit on behalf of JJ Zacharyson and the pod father. You're welcome. So asking you questions about quarterback is like asking Bob Dylan about writing songs. It's the last thing he wants to do. He wants to talk about literally anything else. So if I ever were in the presence of a Bob Dylan, the last thing I would ask him is about music. But fuck it. We're going to ask you about quarterbacks. Thinking about the last trade question, how creatively do I have to configure a league for you to start caring about drafting quarterbacks? You definitely have to add another spot, whether it's super flex or, or not. And then I'd probably just pump up the, the scoring a little bit. Um, but a lot of people think that that pumping up the scoring is a way to increase quarterback value. But the only reason people think that is because they then do their calculations from a yearly perspective and they do this VBD analysis and they say, oh, well, if the, if the, you know, if the difference between Aaron Rodgers to a replacement level quarterback is 13 touchdowns, and if you're getting two more points per touchdown, then all of a sudden that's 26 more points in difference between Aaron Rodgers and that replacement level quarterback. Well, here's the problem with that is that number one, I'm not playing the same quarterback week in and week out, mm -hmm. but number two, it is a weekly game. And on a weekly level, on a week to week basis, you're not really feeling that difference. There's not, you can't sense that difference when you're playing week to week. And you also don't know what you're getting when you draft an Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, right. Year in, year out. There's a lot of variance at that position. Yeah, there's the projection can be wrong. I think that's a really, really good point is that people often assume that um, early round quarterbacks never bust, but the correlation between ADP to, to fantasy points scored at quarterback is not much different than at running back and wide receiver. It's really not. So in most leagues, we're drafting quarterbacks late, as late as possible, because quarterback has never been deeper. So just give us your favorite late round quarterback. Take your clothes off. Show us what you got. So I think that you can go with, with look, the original late round quarterback literature, if you will, um, says that it's not, you know, you don't have to wait until QB 30 to get your quarterback. It's it's just going a lot. It's, it's extracting value. And I think that if you don't want to go super late, if you're worried about streaming, I think that two options you can go with are Big Ben, who I think has top five upside this year, um, and Matthew Stafford, who has an insane early half schedule, a really, really easy early half schedule. The only quarterback that has a better schedule than Matthew Stafford early this season is Matt Ryan. But the consistent thread between those two quarterbacks, the two best receiving cores in the league. Yeah. 
the best supporting cast you could imagine. Yeah, so I think I think Ben Ben with the offensive coordinator change, I think it's it's going to be do big things. I mean, if you look at last year, this is sort of narrative based, but when when Randy Feetner went down to the to the uh, field instead of being up in the booth when he was a quarterbacks coach, uh, that was after the game against Indianapolis for Ben. And after that point, Big Ben was the number one quarterback in fantasy football. Wow. Now that could just be narrative based, sure. But we also know there's a documented history between Big Ben and, and Todd Haley. Um, so I'm 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 optimistic about what uh, Roethlisberger can do from a fantasy perspective, especially given his weapons. We know his weapons are out, out of control. If you think that Todd Haley is at all responsible for the productivity of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense the last few years, I would point you to this program on HBO called Hard Knocks, where not a single person in Cleveland respects Todd Haley. Yeah, that dude is a dick. And he also doesn't wear clothes. Um, but if you want to go super late, here's my super late guy. Oh, this is what we want. So you can go, if you want to go super late, if you want to stream, whatever, I think you can look at Tyrod because just of his situation and, and I, you know, he should be fine. But one guy that not enough people are just generally talking about is Andy Dalton. That's right. The, the, he has a great week one matchup. He gets Indianapolis. That's a, one of the best matchups you can possibly find, right? Name me the players in the Indianapolis secondary. Right, exactly. Try. You can't. Right, they're horrible. I'm Pierre Desir. Is their number one cornerback, I believe? Yeah, they're they're bad. So you have a good matchup in week one. You have A.J. Green, one of the best wideouts in the league. You have John Ross, who's been playing really well in the preseason. You have Joe Mixon, who's also lining up as a wide receiver and looking good doing that. You have an in- improved offensive line. And you have a team who last year ran the fewest plays in the league. All of that's coming together from a from a positive regression standpoint. I only care about touchdowns with quarterbacks, and I think that Andy Dalton has that 25 to 30 touchdown upside this year. In our draft kit, Ben Gretsch identified the Cincinnati Bengals as the team that would experience the greatest change in fortunes from 2017 to 2018 for all the reasons you just outlined. Draft Andy Dalton. It's unbelievable. Andy Dalton also looks like his mascot. Of all the players in the NFL who looked the most like their mascot, Andy Dalton might be the closest, which is why we changed his headshot on playerprofiler.com. You can look it up. I won't spoil it. Matthew Stafford used to when he had his longer hair. It was like a, like a mane. Oh, that's a good one. Matthew Stafford did look like a lion when he had the beard. I love that. When he had like the just a lot of hair going on. Great pull. Thanks, man. Now give us one tight end sleeper. So I already mentioned him. I, I like Ricky Seals Jones. I, I, I think that that people are sleeping on him. I mean, he's he could easily be number three in targets on that team this year. Just there's not much going on. Christian Kirk's not gonna be able to play his natural position mm. just because Larry Fitzgerald's there. Right, so yeah. I'm not I, I used to I, I was somewhat of a Chad Williams truther, but he's not happening. It's not happening. There there's a lot of a lot of upside with Ricky Seals Jones. Um and, and he's been playing first team snaps. Uh, he, I think he's seen all but three or four of Sam Bradford's snaps in the preseason. I, I think that he's an easy, easy guy to target late in drafts. If you, you know, if you're on a, t- if you have a deeper roster and you can, you can roster two tight ends. I like getting a guy like a George Kittle or something and then getting Ricky Seals Jones. If you like Trey Burton based on his situation and his role. Yeah. At move tight end, then you necessarily love Ricky Seals Jones, who's available seven rounds later. Yeah. I mean, it's the perfect ADP arbitrage on Trey Burton draft Ricky Seals Jones. And I have a nickname for Ricky Seals Jones. What's that? Ricky Kiss from a Rose. Oh, yeah. Seals Jones. Just because the idea of a kiss from a rose, that makes me feel good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. You're one of these guys like me that you have these 
like shower thoughts, these epiphanies that just strike you as you're walking down the street. And because we're constantly just immersed in this fantasy football world, what phenomenon has struck you lately? People who are constantly trying to disprove proven strategies or proven things that are out there based on, you know, and, and doing doing decent research, but not looking at what type of research was done to establish that strategy in the first place. So a good example of this could be zero RB. These people are criticizing the moon landing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, just to be just to be super egotistical here, I think that um, one one thing that I've noticed a lot is a lot of people who have questioned the ability to stream the quarterback position in fantasy football recently, and they're doing these studies and the studies are interesting, but they're doing all the studies in hindsight and they're saying like, here's who we projected or who here's who what our model says, and this is the result of that, and therefore you can't stream quarterbacks. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, guys, the last four years on living the stream, you have a podcast that was devoted 100% to this exercise. Why are they criticizing the moon landing? Celebrate it. I also, I also don't think that people realize how difficult it can be to put yourself out there in tracking something like a quarterback pick each week, right? Like you're, you're opening yourself up to insane criticism, which is why the whole, you know, uh, back in 2015, Nick full, we were into Nick Foles on in oh, week three devastating. and he, com- and he completely flopped. And then we get, we get crapped on to the day about that pick. And it's funny, it's become a thing and I love it. And then we're going to average those streamers p- points per game together. And here's the result of that. It, it's not an easy thing to do as an analyst. You know, you want, you don't want to put yourself out there too far because you open yourself up to such insane criticism, but we've done that. And then I get people in my mentions saying that it's not feasible based on logic. They're, they're using logical arguments and all, but I'm telling you, like I sit there and I say, guys, over the last four years, here's who we've streamed. And not only that, we have listeners. Our listeners are also going through this process of streaming quarterbacks to mad success. It's an open book for the most transparent accountability of an exercise that you could imagine. Yeah. It's not like a situation like, you know, look, I I think that what Sean did with zero RB is very, very smart and intelligent and and it can apply and you can, and you can take that application and utilize it. But I also think it's very difficult for Sean to, to prove it in real life examples because every league is so different, right? It's, 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 but what we're doing with our pit, our quarterback picks is we're literally taking the bottom of the barrel guys who are available in 90% of leagues out there, 70 to 90% of leagues out there. And we're saying, these are the guys that we're playing. We're playing Joe. We're not playing Matthew Stafford. We're playing Joe Flacco. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. We're playing Andy Dalton in week one. Right. There's, there are, there are these players that aren't owned, especially given the audience that we're, we're talking to. That's another thing. I'm, I'm ranting right now, Matt. I'm, I'm going nuts here. Oh, please. But the other thing is the platform is yours is, is the, the people who then criticize the picks that we're making without understanding that the audience we're speaking to are not in these 16 team right. ultra competitive leagues. I mean, come on, man. These are normal fucking everyday people playing fantasy football. They're not the sicko diehards in the fringe fantasy leagues. Come on. 95% of our audiences are playing in fairly casual leagues. Yes. It's just how it is. So we're going to cater towards that. And you can absolutely 1 million percent stream in a casual league. And in week one, it will be Andy Dalton. Or Tyrod, one of the two. They're both good. But late round quarterback, you wrote that book five years ago. Yeah, like 2012 it published. 
you learned that lesson a long time ago, and you've been you know, sharing the findings and doing this exercise live on air on Living the Stream. This is one of the few fantasy football podcasts I make time to listen to, and I support it on Patreon. Where can they find Living the Stream on Patreon to support the show? I want to say it's patreon.com slash living the stream, but Denny's the one who takes care of all that, so I can never remember. Just go to Google, type in Living the Stream and Patreon and become a member of this community with me. You won't be sorry. But in the last year, what have you learned that made you a better analyst? Um, I would say that I become a lot more conscious to how coaching can shadow talent more than I ever realized. You know, it's not that I never put it's it's not that I never put coaching into my, into consideration. I actually used to overstate what like offensive coordinator changes did and stuff like that. I think that that's really overblown in the community. Um, but what I what I think is really difficult for me is that a lot of the things that you can't measure that coaches do can impact things. Like I mean, obviously the easy example is the Rams last year with with Sean McVay. I don't think Jared Goff is that special of a quarterback, but. With Sean McVay, he's a he's an above average passer who can carry you know, help not carry but help lead that team to where it needs to go. But you need to be careful overrating him this year. Now that the league has had a year to see sure the gimmicks that Sean McVay employs and can adjust. Sure. Remember the Wildcat. Sure. But I think overall, like you're gonna see a shift. You know, I, I talked about remember on this podcast back in like whenever I came on in like March or whatever. Right. And you asked me who the Rams, the this year's Rams would be. And I said Chicago. And it's because it's just a similar situation where there's a, a very interesting offensive-minded head coach who's who's moving into the, the picture there as their head coach. Uh, you have, they, they invested in weapons for Mitch Trubisky. Um, there's just a lot of similarities and parallels there, especially when you compare a John Fox to right. a Jeff Fisher. That's where I find the coaching matters most is when there's a chasm of differential between the outgoing coach and the in coming coach. Tennessee is another good example. We could see that this year. Not not with Vrabel per se. Well, there's an offensive coordinator that comes from the Sean McVay tree. Yeah, right. The first fruit to fall right. from the Sean McVay tree lands in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. Yeah, and it's it's really tough to project those things because again, they're very tough to measure, but I think you have to always keep in the back of your head that that's part of their range of outcomes. And that that's really what I learned most I think last season. So when you think about players that have not broken out yet that you still love, give us the guy this season that you qualify for truther status on that you're going to be checking the box score every time you hear news about this team even though you're pretty sure it's not going to be him scoring the touchdowns. Man, I I mean, I didn't dig that deep. For, for guys. I just I just threw two guys on here who we've already talked about on the show. No, I don't want to talk about players you already talked about. I want you to go deeper and find a new player, someone that you're rostering in Dynasty Leagues that has not broken out yet. He's probably expired as a stash, but you're not letting go. Who's that guy? There has to be that guy. The way that I approach the game is that I, I don't have those guys. You're truther immune. I, I sort of am. You're truther immune. You don't have a Jerron Brown? No, I don't have a Jerron Brown. I don't think I have a Jerron Brown. I feel sorry for you, JJ. I do. You have a lot going for you, my friend. But when it comes to trutherism, I feel sorry for you. You're not going to feel that joy. Give us a young fringe player you like. I need to get someone out of you. Richie James, probably. There it is. 
Yeah. That's nice. He's a fun player. He's just someone that I consistently was stashing. You're a Richie James truther, even though he hasn't even had a chance to play in the NFL yet. I mentioned that I was I was uh, Chad Williams truther. That's an, that's another guy who I was into who's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, he's not. It's too bad. Albert Wilson's one just because of his production. Well, Albert Wilson, that's perfect. Why did you say Albert Wilson? Because they didn't, didn't pop into my head right away, Matt. Okay, it's Albert Wilson. Why do you like Albert Wilson? Because he's freaking ridiculous college production. That's right. That's it. You're damn right. That's it. You're damn right. And he has that slot receiver je ne sais quoi that Golden Tate has. The incredible yards after the catch per target, similar to a player named Jarvis Landry, who I think he'll be replacing in Miami. He won't have the same target share, but don't be surprised when Albert Wilson dominates the targets close to the line of scrimmage, not Danny Amendola. I'll get you out of here on this last question. I need your boldest take of the year. I'm not going to extend this by saying very, very, very. Normally I say very, very, very until I can't breathe. And there's a lot of varies. I can go like 30 varies, believe it or not. Just give me your hottest take of the year. So I did a bold predictions article and I have 15 of them that I had. But I think probably the most fun that I wrote is about two guys we've already talked about, which is funny that we were talking about them as much as we did. One of them that I loved was that Chris Hogan's going to outscore Mike Evans this year. Chris Hogan's going to outscore Mike Evans this year. That's the show. Chris Hogan will exceed Mike Evans in every statistical category except targets. <laughs> so true. I love that you don't like Mike Evans. I love that. I didn't know that. I actually, we never talked about Mike Evans. As good as he's been, you know, everyone knows he could be better. I'm always hesitant to roster those players in any format. They just make me nervous. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It was It's mind-blowing to me that, like, last year people were taking him as an easy, like, top five pick in Dynasty. So strange to me. Give me give me three years of Antonio Brown, I'm good to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's fine for me. Who knows where we're going to be in three years? Oh, let's stream quarterbacks with J.J. Zacharyson. Yeah, baby! Let's do it on the Roto Underworld podcast. All right! It's fine for me. The smallest little stick at the end of the limb. A little twig. I'm going way out on a twig. It's fine for me. You don't fall into a small sample size trap no matter how handsome and well-endowed that player is. If I were to go out and say, I'm the first person to draft quarterbacks late, that would be one of the most ridiculous things I could possibly say. It would just be very lame. Yeah, it would be lame. I would like to think that I have a lame radar and the listeners expect me. They pay a lot of money on Patreon for me to identify when shit's lame and call it out. That's all they want. And I deliver. You and I approach things like that in different ways. Of course, we have different roles. It's just like the Lord of the Rings, man. I'm like a fucking dwarf with an axe. You know, you're an elf. You're an archer with a super accurate bow and arrow. It's a totally different skill set. But we're still the good guys. It's important that we're the good guys. <laughs> Man, I'm the voice of the community. People know it. 
I think what's super important is just like the self-awareness and, and being grounded with, with what you're working on. At this time of year, man, I don't even have time to go to my timeline. I don't know what others are tweeting, but I get, I have this forum where listeners can drop stuff off and say, hey, can you talk about this on the show? And multiple people out of nowhere suddenly dropped this tweet on my, on my show and said, what the fuck is this? Who does this guy think he is? And I said, oh my God, that's a pretty brazenly bold tweet that lacks self-awareness. Fuck. I got to kind of talk about it. You have to understand, my perspective is I'm sitting here, right? These things arrive randomly. They interrupt my day. And this is my initial reaction. Fuck. I got to go do this. It's like the sheriff of the town. And someone says, oh, they're shooting up the saloon again. He's like, oh, fucking A. I got to get my gun. Oh, God, I might get killed. Shit. Okay, I'll see you in five minutes. God damn it. I was just getting something done. I was cleaning my fucking saddle or whatever. That's what they do, right? Yeah, I gotta, you know, now I gotta, you know, I gotta go handle a thing. It just fucking sucks, man. When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. Yeah, you don't see that, right? You don't see that on Westworld. How are the saddles cleaned? They clean them off and oil them up, man. I was a rider. I rode Western. Appaloosas. Man, that's, that's an interesting... As a kid, I tap danced and I was a rider and a skateboarder. But I mean, that's an eclectic group of activities. True. All of them together make skateboarding a very, like that along with being a rider and a tap dancer. My outward persona was all skater at school. And then behind the scenes, I was tapping and I was riding. And, but that wasn't like, I wasn't coming to school with like a sequin shirt. I was like quintessential suburban kid. Like, played all sports, always play with the neighborhood kids outside then, too. Like, just like the j- video games, like, just quintessential, this kid grew up in suburbia. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm not only growing up on a farm, I'm like down a street on the far end of the town. The border is our property, and it's woods all the way to Canada for hundreds of miles. That's, like, frightening. That, that's, like, that's, like, stuff from, like, the village. Oh, yeah, there was like the story of this kid in the 50s who got separated from his like, Boy Scout troop and he almost died because he's just out in the main woods. There's nothing. There's no you look at the map because he almost he almost entered. He almost entered Canada. You know, he got on the wrong side of a mountain. And then, you know, it's it's hundreds of miles until the next community in another country. So Don Fendler was his name. But he lived. Yeah, he lived. He somehow he was out there for like two weeks. By the way, he wouldn't have lived now. That same kid without an iPhone, that millennial, he would have been fucked. He would have been dead. But this was a kid from the 50s. This was a tough kid. You know, his parents were in the war. Oh, yeah. Right. He's going to live. He's going to find a way. If Don Fendler was a millennial, he'd be dead. Be dead in three hours. The granite, the rocks have been, were so cut by the glaciers up in Maine that all the rocks are very sharp. So it really wears your shoes out very quickly. So his shoes were worn out in like two days. Poor. It's more instructive, though, to know that I, I grew up alone. So I had to entertain myself, man. Which explains a lot. I mean, it, it explains the fact that when you do a solo podcast, you're literally having a conversation with yourself. It's a back and forth with multiple voices coming out of your mouth. It all makes sense, Matt. I have the Mike Clay patronizing tweet voice down. <laughs> The pretentious tweet voice is one of my favorite voices. 
When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. What a year. What can I tell you? Things are things are happening. Yeah, dude. I love how people are, are on these like different rocket ships and where you can just wave from your little rocket ship capsule window. <laughs> right. Right. Hey, I was like, oh, was, we're go, going fast. Up. Yeah, me too. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the moon. When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. With a gust of wind that will break glass. Except this one comment at the very end is like a throwaway remark that he just had to get in there. Which is like part of people wanting your job, I guess. And the only reason that landed with me is because I fight against that. Like there are so many emails I get or messages on even our Patreon message board where people are saying, hey, you're going to be big one day. And I'm like, I'm just the right amount of big for my comfort level right now. I don't care about being any bigger. You know, I'm listened to by tens of thousands of people every time I step in front of a microphone. And my website is funding my whole operation. And I can do whatever I want and I don't have a boss. Why would you think that I would trade that? It wasn't offensive. It was just it did land because it hearkened to day-to-day questions I get like in real life. Where people think that this is just kind of me with a pseudo hobby trying to make it. And it's like, no, I've kind of already made it. I, I love every second of it. I wouldn't trade it just to put something on my business card that's a fucking media site that people recognize. That ain't it, man. Yeah, what, what, what about what's Denny going to do when, when JJ blows up? He's living it now. Your definition of making it is so myopic. Fuck you. When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. If he's at 10, I need to be at 20, period. I mean, it's constant, too, man. It's just all the time. You calibrating your ambition. Yeah, right. Welcome to the road. (laughs) So, I don't know why I'm mad. Why am I mad? I have no idea. There's no reason. There's nothing to be mad about. But you know who's not ready for the season to start? Alshon Jeffrey. I knew you were going to say Alshon. I'm proud of everybody. Good job, everybody. But it's time to draft Nelson Aguilar. Take your clothes off. Show us what you got. When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. Where not a single person in Cleveland respects Todd Haley. Yeah, that dude is a dick. Thanks, but no thanks, Kenyon. We're going with Derrick Henry. It's like he catches the ball and just falls over and dies. It's like he had cancer. These people are criticizing the moon landing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, that dude is a dick. It's a clerical error. Mike Wallace's ADP at this point. Why are you not drafting Mike Wallace? Why This isn't hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, man. This is the Eagles we're talking about. It's like he had cancer. Talent plus opportunity equals fantasy points. The fundamental equation of fantasy football. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's much better. It's like he catches the ball and just falls over and dies. And I'm not sorry. It's just rational. Rashard Matthews is very much the anti-Mike Evans. It's like he catches the ball and just falls over and dies. He's in a movie and everyone around him behind the scenes is just setting him up to have huge boom weeks in fantasy football each and every Sunday. It's like he had cancer. Absolutely zero erections in that backfield. It's like he had cancer. He fucked up. Oh, I love Chris Godwin. 
and they would have all, all, all the targets in Detroit. Oh my God. When I think of the Wild West, I think about cowboys cleaning saddles. Who's the most overrated wide receiver in the NFL? Mike Evans. We already talked about that. Um, I'm going to take that out. I'm going to put that in the outtakes, though, just to make me look bad. Yeah, exactly. The first fruit to fall from the Sean McVay tree lands in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. Yeah, exactly. Why didn't you say Albert Wilson? Because they didn't pop into my head right away, Matt. Yeah.